Thank you, Jordan and Michael and the whole team. Y'all did a great job uh, today. Amen. Wasn't that wonderful? Um, I wanna, I wanna thank. I get, I am on, right? I can't hear myself very well. I'm sort of clogged up still. But uh, I wanna thank the guys that stepped in for me, uh, Lance uh, stepping up, and my friend Steve Hill. Uh, they did a great job in my absence, and I really appreciate that. Uh, I can tell you, I am feeling better. I don't think I'm contagious now, so, um, uh, and uh, some of you know that we are moving and have moved, and this week we sort of finished that uh, process out, uh, so I do appreciate a lot of folks from the church that have helped us out, and all of your prayers, and all of those things. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, do my best today to proclaim this message, and to share with you something that I think God wants you to know and, and wants you to live by. Uh, I, I'm going to try to have as much energy, and I have prayed and prayed and prayed that I don't get into some coughing fit. Um, I will tell you, I coughed so hard one day that I blacked out. I mean, that, that's some bad coughing there, isn't it? But um, I want to ask a favor of you, my brothers and sisters, it may be hard listening to this voice today. I don't know what it's going to be like for you. But I just ask that you be as attentive and listen because I do think God has something that he wants you to hear. And um, so uh, let's get into our message today. You know, uh, telling our stories has been a part of the Christian life uh, from the very beginning. Giving personal testimony has been a part of Christianity uh, for centuries. In recent years, uh, some in the secular world have come along to understand that there is power in our stories, power in our testimony. Groups and assemblies of uh, uh, storytellers sharing wisdom gleaned from their own personal experiences has been cropping up in the U.S. and in Canada uh, listeners are motivated, they're inspired, and they're guided. Confessional-style storytelling of average people has been popularized by a nonprofit called The Moth. Uh, the, they stage over 500 shows per year across the United States. The Moth Radio Hour was launched back in 2009 and is now on 500 public radio stations, and has a million listeners weekly. The Moss Weekly podcast is downloaded over 73 million times annually. The executive director, Sarah Haberman, told Forbes that no matter where you're from uh, and whatever your background, your story has the power uh, to unite people, to break down walls, even when uh, you can't be in the same room. That pursuit feels urgent right now. And then Arthur Richard Wagamese wrote, All that we are is story. It is what we arrive with. It is what we leave behind. We are not the things we accumulate. We are not the things we deem important. We are story. And so the secular world is catching up to what we as Christians have known forever. 
and the Bible has revealed to us, telling our story has a powerful influence on other people. In fact, you could say uh, telling our story can bless other people. Part of the problem is that we might not even know where to begin in telling our story. We might think no one is interested in our story. Or we might just be so shy we don't want to risk it. But we are going to bless people if we will tell our story. And in this series called Bless, B-L-E-S-S, we're talking about five everyday ways that we can love our neighbors and in the process change the world. In their book, Bless, John and Dave Ferguson share some simple ideas about how we can incorporate these everyday things that we're already doing to help our neighbors see Jesus. And I would say that if we can help our neighbors see Jesus and know Jesus, that we have blessed them. Would you agree with that? I hope you would. Each letter of the word bless can remind us of one of these five things. B is for begin with what? Prayer. We asked you the first week to identify eight people that you could begin to pray for. Eight people uh, may be some people that you work with. It might be actual neighbors that you live around. It could be somebody you're in school with that sits around where you sit. It could be a teammate. It could be a co-worker. It could be any number of people. But identifying eight people that you can begin to pray for. The L is for what? Listen. Uh, we need to begin to just listen to people. Ha have conversations with them so that we can know what their needs are, so that we can know how to pray for them specifically. And E uh, is for what? Eat. Hey, we all love to eat. Thanksgiving is just around the corner. Bringing out the turkeys, bringing out the fun. Uh, we do this every day. Why not invite some of those eight folks on our list to join us? And this will give us an opportunity to listen to them again and even pray for them. And then the first S, and Lance shared this with us last, last week, is for what? Serve. Uh, uh, when we serve, that's when we are most like Jesus. Discovering someone's need and trying to meet that need is simply doing what Jesus did. We are able to bless others and even bless ourselves in the process because the Bible does tell us it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so that brings us to today, the final S in bless. And that S is for story. By story, we're talking about where your story and Jesus' story meet. If you want to bless people and open the door for their story and Jesus' story to meet, tell your story. So this is the big idea for today. To bless your neighbor, Jesus invites you to share your story. Simple as that. And you know what? You probably share your story with people anyway without even thinking about it. 
Now, in Scripture, we find a man who was struggling. We know this man was blind. In fact, he had been blind his entire life. He was born blind. Now, I don't know what would be worse, to be born blind or to have sight and then lose your sight. But everyone in this man's neighborhood knew exactly who he was because every day he would go to the same place and he would sit and he would beg because that's the only way he could make enough money in order to eat every day. Um, and so uh, many of the people that knew this man, uh, they knew his situation. And in that culture, in that time, many of them thought he was cursed. To be born blind in the minds of many at that time meant that either your parents had done something horrible so that this was the result, you were born blind, or that the person who was born blind had sinned in some way. In fact, even Jesus' disciples had this misconception. So we're going to be going to John chapter 9 today, and let's begin reading in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus set the record straight with his disciples about this man. He wasn't blind because of sin. His parents didn't do anything <coughs> excuse me, to cause his blindness. And it seems weird that people would even think that a, a fetus could sin. How does a baby sin before they're born? If he was born blind, how in the world could he have sinned to cause this blindness? Um, superstitions often take people down the wrong path. And, you know, friends, we have to be very careful about making such judgments. Um, sometimes these things even penetrate into our thoughts. I wonder how many people looked at this innocent man and made a wrong assumption about him. Jesus spoke truth, though. He didn't do anything wrong. But God allowed this to happen so that Jesus could do something that would be stunning. What Jesus did next is so different than all of the other miracles he did. If Jesus had chosen to, I believe, and I think you believe, that all he had to do was think, you know, receive your sight. Or just say, receive your sight. And the man would have been able to see. But Jesus does something out of the ordinary. In verse 6, we begin reading, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, why didn't Jesus just immediately heal the man? Why, why go through this ceremony type of healing? Now, we know that in ancient days, the Jewish people believed that saliva 
had some medicinal value. The idea of mixing it with mud and putting a salve on the man's eyes would have been a clear indication to that man that he was being healed. And so when Jesus told him to go to Siloam, the man went without hesitation. It was at Siloam, if you remember, that Jesus said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, was this just Jesus doing this as a symbol of the fact that he is the light of the world or, or that he can quench our thirst? Or did he do this because he knew what was about to happen and how people would respond to this man? Let's continue reading in verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man? who used to sit and beg. Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Well, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Now, the fact that he had been blind from birth and now was able to see became a fascination with his neighborhood. Everybody that used to walk by and see him there begging, and they couldn't hardly believe. Now, he's able to see. This just didn't happen. Some question whether he really was the man. It's weird that you have to defend the fact that you are who you are, right? Um, and, that, and yet, that's what he had to do. I am the man. <clears throat> and it's funny in a way that, that he's uh, having to defend his own story. He had experienced something dramatic and life-changing, and now people are doubting him. But it would get even worse. When the religious leaders got wind of the story, you see, they had a vested interest uh, in casting doubt on his story because they hated Jesus and they didn't want people hearing his story and then believing in Jesus. So let's read what happened beginning in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Very matter of fact, right? Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. And then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. Now, in their effort to discredit Jesus, they claimed since he healed the man on the Sabbath that Jesus was a sinner. Just think about that. But when they asked the blind man, who he thought Jesus was, he was simple, he was to the point. He's a prophet. 
No doubt Jesus was doing God's work. And beyond that, he didn't say much. I mean, they asked what he thought, and he told them. But that wasn't good enough. They wanted to continue to discredit this miracle cast out upon the man himself. And so we keep reading in verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Uh, We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now, then the Bible gives us a little bit of clarification. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So it sounds like the parents knew uh, exactly who Jesus was, but they were afraid to share. Everyone knew the religious leaders had it out for Jesus. This wasn't, uh, it, it was public knowledge. They, they didn't want to be in a position of defending Jesus and be cast out of the synagogue. But they did simply tell the truth. Yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind. And now he can see. That's what they could testify. And all they could say was basically, he can speak for himself. So once again, the religious leaders brought in the man. And we begin reading again in verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth as if he didn't the first time. They said, we know this man is a sinner. And he replied, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) I love that. And then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man Uh, born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I love that part of the man's story. I mean, he had a clear vision as to what these religious leaders were trying to do. And all he could testify 
was what Jesus had done for him. He was blind, but now he could see. They began to attack him personally, throwing out accusations that he was one of Jesus' disciples, that he was lying for his master. But I love his courage to speak up in the face of these enemies of Jesus. He didn't back down, and he spoke very logically, I would say. Uh, if Jesus wasn't from God, how could he have done what he did? And at that Again, they insulted him and threw him out of the meeting. I don't know. Maybe they threw him out of the synagogue as well. We don't really know. But later, Jesus would find the man, and Jesus would speak to him. And this is the end of the text as we're going to read today. Looking to verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now remember, the blind man had never seen Jesus. I mean, when he was healed, remember, Jesus had come by, he was blind. Jesus had spoken to him, told him what to do. He heard Jesus' voice, but it wasn't until he got to the pool of Siloam and washed the mud off his face and his eyes that he could see. And so Jesus sought him out and asked him, did he believe in the Son of Man? And as we see, he did believe. He heard Jesus' voice. He knew it was the same man. And when Jesus said, I am he, he said he believed and he worshiped. Jesus. Jesus had changed his life forever. The blind man would tell anyone who would listen what Jesus had done for him. I can't imagine this would be the last time he did. And friends, when we become Christians, our story and Jesus' story become intertwined. Jesus changes our lives for this life that we're living now, but also for eternity. And just like that blind man who was healed, we need to just simply tell the truth about what Jesus has done for us. It isn't rocket science. We don't have to have a theological degree. We don't have to have the Bible memorized. We just need to tell our story. Now, when we tell our story... I want to encourage you to focus on three things as we share our story. I think these are in your outline. First of all, begin with my life before Jesus. And the truth is that before Jesus came into our life, we were all blind. There was some spiritual blindness in our life. What was my life? before I met Jesus? If you were to ask the blind man that question, of course, <coughs> excuse me, he would say he was blind. But that's not the only part of that story. I mean, there was also a, a, a spiritual darkness, an emotional darkness. You know, the first century was a hard place to be blind, um, just as it is today. 
But you can imagine how difficult his life was. And so he was just surrounded by darkness. Yes, he was blind. That was his life before Jesus. And friends, I would tell you I was blind. I was a sinner before Jesus entered into my life. This is the case for all of us, isn't it? The Bible tells us, for uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that every person in this room, every person that's watching on Facebook Live, was a sinner before Jesus entered into their life. My focus as a young man was on sports and having fun. I didn't think about Jesus or God I, I wouldn't say that I was a horrible kid. Now, my sister Elaine or my brother Mike may, may say something else, but um, uh, uh, when, when I think about that, uh, I think that all that I really wanted to do was just go have fun. I, you could say I was selfish. I was self-centered. I believe that's true. My goals had nothing to do with God. They had everything to do with me doing things that I enjoyed. I wanted to play football. I wanted to watch sports all the time. I remember uh, at church thinking about, you know, how can I get home as quick as I can to see the game? I remember being more excited about the game than I was about um, thinking about what the preacher was having to say on Sunday morning. Maybe some of you are thinking that right now. <coughs> but, you know, I remember... Uh, back then, uh, I, sports was my God. It really was. I didn't know it, but as I look back on it now, it is true. And so when I talk about my life before Jesus, I can honestly say I was blind in many ways. I can talk about how I was so focused on myself and how that would create problems for me in the future. Because without God, without focusing on Him, there's going to be problems, relationships that didn't last, disappointments and failures. And so, friends, when you talk about your life before Jesus, what can you say? Uh, you can talk about where that sin led you to. There's darkness and discouragement. There is despair, possibly depression. We can talk about our mistakes. We can talk about our failures. We can talk about the way we once viewed the world. We can share about how meaningless life is without the hope of eternity. Think about it, friends. Without the hope we have in Christ, what does it all mean? We are all here for a moment, and then we're gone, and that's it? Really? It could be that our story involves addiction to drugs or alcohol or sex or just self-satisfaction. Whatever that addiction is, it led us down a road to darkness and destruction. Maybe our life before Jesus didn't involve what people might think of as horrible sins. Maybe we just didn't have the light of Christ in us and we lived a joyless life with no thought of the future. Whatever it is, when we share our story 
we start with where we were before Jesus and whatever blindness we had to endure. But then we want to answer this question, how did I meet Jesus? We talk about how I met Jesus. And for the blind man, I mean, Jesus just came where he was. The blind man was going about his normal routine. He was sitting in the same spot he always sat in. He was begging. In fact, the text does not record any dialogue between the blind man and Jesus. You may, may remember another instance where Jesus asked the blind man, what is it that you want? And the man told Jesus, I want to see. But in this case, the conversation is with Jesus' disciples about who is at fault for the man's blindness. And Jesus just walks over. He spit in some dirt. He made some mud. He put the salve on the man's eyes. And then he told the man to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. The man obeyed and he was healed. That was his story. Jesus changed his life. So how did you meet Jesus? Was it a dramatic encounter? Was it a conversation you had with someone? Was it a longer process of learning and growing? Was it an aha moment? Or was it a slower progression of faith? I think for me, it was a slower, probably less dramatic route. You know, I grew up in a home where faith was talked about. Uh, my mother uh, was a woman of faith. Uh, my father was a preacher in the early years of my life. And so we went to church. Now, after my mother and father broke up, um, she still made sure we went to church. And I went to Christian camps growing up. I was surrounded by uh, men and women of faith who inspired me. They influenced me. Uh, I heard, heard sermons, I had heard lessons, I, I met other Christians <coughs> my age. I don't know where faith began for me. I, I can't think back that far. But as long as I can remember, I believed in Jesus. Is there anybody else here that was more like that? That like you grew up in a Christian home and it's like you, you just knew from the very beginning, about Jesus. And then one summer at camp, one of the junior counselors had a deeper conversation with me. Um, I had never made a personal commitment to follow Jesus, and, and she really challenged me to make a decision. Her name was Martha Lipscomb. Now uh, her last name is Anderson. But she just reached out to me as a friend. And she shared her story with me, and she inspired me to step up and follow through on the faith that I already had. And so I was baptized on June the 30th, 1973. I was 12 and a half years old. It wasn't earth-shattering. I can't think that a lot changed about my life except for my heart. Jesus came in the form of Martha. 
He used her to challenge me and make me think where I was. She came to me in a normal situation, not attacking, not accusing, just asking some questions. Did I believe? Well, if I believe, why not make a decision? Whatever your story is, there is a moment when you have to come face to face with a decision. You will either choose to follow Jesus or you will push him aside. He will come to you where you are and he will have his arms open for you. No matter where you have been, no matter how bad your life has been, no matter what mistakes you have made, his arms will be open. You may be in a very difficult time of life. Maybe you've suffered something. Maybe you've lost something. Or maybe you've had a struggle with something. But in the middle of that, some light just shone in. And maybe that light was in the form of a person like Martha, a person of faith who could just come in and shine the light of Christ, a person who loves you enough to reach out and tell you their story so that your story and Jesus' story can collide. Or it might be while life is good and you don't seem to have any problems. That was sort of the way it was for me. But in the midst of all that, he may have sent someone to make you think, what do I need to do with this faith that I have? Can you look back and see a time or even many times when Jesus' story and your story came together? Can you put a face to those people that God sent to you? Maybe you can do what I did this past week as I was preparing my message. I sent Martha a little Facebook message. You know, Facebook can be used for some good things. And I sent her a message and I said, I just want to thank you again for reaching out to a young man, young boy, and sharing your faith and inspiring me to take a step of faith that I needed to take. And maybe you can do that too. Think about those people that have influenced your life and just thank them. It is Thanksgiving week, right? What a good time to do that. Well, I hope that you have already made that choice to follow through on your faith. You know your story, and I want to encourage you to share your story with someone. And the last part is the best part. My life after Jesus. What did the blind man say? He said, now I see. Now I see. When asked, that was his response. And he would have more than a physical ability to see. He would have some spiritual insight. You see, even in his conversation with the Pharisees, you can see the spiritual insight that he had. And then when he met Jesus, and Jesus said, I am the, the man, <laughs> he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. 
certainly his life would never be the same. He would never have to beg again, for one thing. He would be able to see the people who were important to him. He could see the beauty of God's creation. He saw Jesus face to face. But I wonder about his life. I imagine that he never stopped telling that story. I mean, if that happened to you, would you ever stop telling that story? I've often prayed that God would make me a man after his own heart. It would not be long after I was baptized that the idea of serving God full time was presented to me. In fact, it was another week of camp. Camp is awesome. You need to get your kids into camp. I'm telling you. But another week of camp where I was challenged to think about serving God with my life, making it my vocation. You know, and God gave me a purpose that went beyond a nine-to-five job. God opened up doors for a boy from little podunk, a husky, to travel around the world and meet influential and wonderful people. God led me to serve in churches where I've developed lifelong friendships. <coughs> and I've seen people's lives changed. My first ministry began <coughs> sorry, in the summer of 1980 at the Geneva Park Church of Christ. This is where Jordan's from. This is Gary Clark's home church. Uh, Steve Hill, my friend, who preached a couple of weeks ago, he was the preacher at the church at that time. And I still remember when he came on campus and he asked if he could meet with me. And he and a couple of guys sat down with me and uh, interviewed me there at Roanoke Bible College. I had no experience. Uh, I never even had a youth minister growing up. I mean, our church was very small. I had nothing to compare it to. And they took this raw kid with no experience, and they helped to mold me. I made plenty of mistakes. But by God's grace, all of that led to me being here today. I understand things better today than I did when I was 12 years old. God has taught me a lot. His word has shaped my life. And I know that all of you know I'm not perfect, but I can see. I'm no longer blind. And I have hope, a hope and an eternity that is far greater than anything this life has to offer. This is especially important for me and my family now. Most of you know that my mom is dealing with congestive heart failure. And I'm not sure that she's going to be able to ever come back to church. And we know the day is just around the corner. And she will no longer be with us. But we hang on to this hope that we have in Christ. And I truly believe that whatever happens here is just the beginning 
because eternity, <laughs> you think about eternity and the small amount of time we have here. I mean, I've known my mom for 62 years. And yet I'm going to spend eternity getting to know her even better. And that gives us hope. And it's because of my faith. And it's because of Jesus that I can see things in that light. When Jesus' story and our story collide, he changes our outlook on life and on death. How has Jesus changed your story? How is your life different today because of Jesus' story? Just tell your story. Now, I, I do realize that many of you may still be reluctant to share your stories. And why are we reluctant to share our stories? Let me just deal with this real quick. Some might say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Maybe you think you have to have some special gift to be able to share your story. This is not true. Uh, and I'll show you why it's not true. I want you to turn to someone next to you or around you, and I want you to just say hello to them. Maybe in these days of COVID, we don't shake their hands, but just wave at them, say hello. And look, tell them your name. Tell them, tell them what your name is. Stop slapping them. No, no, don't slap them. And look, tell them, tell them one thing about yourself. Find somebody right around you. Just say one thing about yourself. Can y'all do that? Just say one thing about yourself. One thing. All right. Now, how hard was that? Now, I know we're sitting in a place where everybody's in agreement here, but all we're doing is just saying something about ourselves. Um, and remember, this isn't like when we're talking to those eight people on our list. It's not like they're strangers because we've already been praying for them. We've already been listening to them. We've already been uh, maybe shared some meals with them, and we've already served them in some way. So it's talking to a friend. Some might say, well, I don't have all the answers. Well, I'm glad that you feel that way, because if you do think that you have all the answers, uh, you need to be humbled because no one has all the answers. What if they ask me a question that I don't have an answer to? In the book, Bless, uh, Dave Ferguson addresses this by being honest. He said, you will not have all the answers to people's most challenging questions. However, we do have the promise of Scripture in Matthew 10, 19 through 20. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will be not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking to you. You know, sometimes in the middle of a conversation, scriptures will come to mind. Uh, or a thought will pop up that you, you didn't prepare yourself to think. But we can also study the Word of God and learn more. And if we don't have an answer to a question, you know, we don't need to fake it. We don't need to try to act like we're smarter than we really are. Let's just be honest. Let's just say, I don't really know the answer to that question, 
but let me look and see, and let me come back to you, and maybe we can figure it out together. Some might say, I've made so many mistakes, why would anyone listen to me? I just don't feel worthy. Certainly, some of us may feel like we have disqualified ourselves from ever speaking about Jesus because of our failures. And if that was a reason to make us ineligible for sharing our faith, guess what? Nobody would ever be able to share their faith. Y'all realize that, right? Because we've all messed up. The truth is that because of our failures, we can speak truth into that other person's life. Your story, in fact, can touch another person and give them hope because they realize I'm not the only one that's messed up. You mean you messed up? You? You messed up? Yeah, I messed up. So rather than disqualifying you, your mistakes actually make you more qualified to share with someone what Jesus has done for you. Some might say, I don't want to impose my beliefs on my friends and my family. And I get it. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to be pushy. We don't want people to uh, not like being around us. And so we convince ourselves that sharing our faith may be seen as being overly aggressive. And so you may be thinking of someone who, who might have been pushy with you or aggressive with their faith, taking their Bibles and beating people over their heads with them uh, and, or shouting people down. Uh, and if you're uncomfortable with that, then I want to say this to you. Good. That is not what I am suggesting to you. DJ Niles, or DT Niles, once said, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. It's not about arguing. It's not about debating. It's simply telling our story. But think about what's at stake the eternity of that other person. Do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father? He made that statement himself. If they don't know Jesus, they don't know God, and they will have no eternity with him. However, Romans 10, 13 promises, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in uh, verse 14 uh, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one and of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, I want you to take that last part of that, la of that verse. And I want you to replace the word someone with your name. So let's read that together. And how... Can they hear without, are y'all reading that? Because my ears are a little clogged up and, and I wasn't seeing all the mouths moving. So I want us to all read that together, okay? And how can they hear without Tim preaching to them? Now, I hope that you said your name. I hope you didn't say Tim's name. And before you're scared off by that word preaching, simply understand it means proclaiming the word of God. It doesn't mean standing up in front of a whole group of people with a three-point outline. It's simply telling your story and Jesus' story. 
All you're doing is having a conversation. And what you, should, what you say can have a powerful impact upon that person that you share with. And finally, sharing my story makes me feel uncomfortable. Maybe some of you are nervous about this. It, especially the first few times you do it, you're, you're probably going to be nervous. You, you may be uncomfortable because you might share some details of your life that everybody doesn't know about you. You may not feel totally confident in how to tell your story. But would this discomfort really keep you from what could be the difference between life and eternity of a person you say you love? Think about that. You are attempting to give your friend a gift. And listen, if you invited your friend to a meal and offered it to them, would you be uncomfortable about doing that? No. You're, you're wanting to do something nice. You're trying to be kind. View this in the same way. You see, God hasn't put us here just to eat and sleep and take up space. We have a purpose that is far beyond ourselves. We are here to bless those that we come into contact with in the name of Jesus. Think about those eight people on your list. They are eight people that God has brought into your life for a reason. He loves them, and He wants them to know He loves them. You may be the only one who can tell them. So look for those opportunities, whether it's over a meal or whether you're spending time serving them, but tell your story. They will be blessed, and so will you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today so grateful and thankful for the opportunity to worship you and to know you, to, to be able to no longer be blind, but to be able to see. Father, you did that for us, and we are so grateful and thankful. Father, help us to be able to open up and share our story about how you came to us, about where we were before you were in our life, and how we met you, how did we get to know you, and then how our life has changed after you came in. Father, just help us to tell our story, and help us to see the lives that can be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.